pray. Father God, we just thank you for uh, this moment to gather together as your people. Lord, we uh, thank you for this passage that just gives us truth that we need to hear. And by here, Lord, we uh, ask your spirit to come and just give us eyes to see, open our hearts, soften our hearts so that we can hear what we need to, so that we can line our lives up to your will, so that we can be transformed by the gospel. Lord, I pray that you would do work today, work that only you can do. I pray that your spirit would give us eyes to see, to give us faith where we don't have faith, would give us conviction where we need it, to help us see maybe blind spots that we're missing. Lord, convict us, encourage us, give us faith today. Lord, I pray to that end that I would not say anything out of step with your will or your word, but I would simply hide behind the cross. And I pray that we would walk away from today believing that you are the light and that we would let that light transform all corners of our lives. It's in Jesus' name we'll pray. Amen. Well, the world instinctively longs for a light. We long for a Savior. We see the brokenness of this world, and we long for a miracle. I've been listening to a lot of Lauren Daigle this Christmas season, and her song, Light of the World, she says, the world waits for a miracle. The heart longs for a little bit of hope. O come, O come, Emmanuel. A a child prays for peace on earth, and she calls out from a sea of hurt, O come, O come, Emmanuel. We long for a light in this world, don't we? You see, uh, most of us long for this light, but we don't look to Christ as the light of the world. We, we don't see him as the light. Most of us look towards other things as the light. Why is Jesus a better light? What, further, uh, how are we to respond to his light? And finally, what in the world does his light even produce in us when we receive the light? We, we live in a day where most people reject Jesus's light. Aaron Wren has written a book where he talks about that, you know, a, a lot of has changed in American culture as it relates to Christianity. Re- really through the entirety of our history, our culture has viewed Christianity a, as a positive thing. So when, when people would claim to be a Christian, the world around them would celebrate that and, and view that as a good thing. Kind of in the 90s and the early, early aughts, it kind of became a neutral thing. Where maybe some people saw good things about that, but, but then other people were really questioning it. But, but then most people were just like, who cares? But now we're in a day where it's actually shifted towards Christianity is viewed by the culture around us as a negative thing. So, so if you claim to be a Christian, the world around you is going to be skeptical of you. They're going to wonder, maybe there's something bad about you. Maybe there's something oppressive about you or about Christianity. So, so the world around us views the Christianity and the gospel in a negative light. However, we as Christians understand that, that we seek the light in different places. We don't look to the light in the same places that the world does. We think that we have a better light. John 1, 6-13 offers a better light with better results. Really what he's going to get at in this passage is, is he's going to explain what the light is not. Then he's going to explain some things about what it means uh, to be the light. And then we're going to see people's response to the light. Some people reject it. And in fact, most people reject it. 
But then there's some who receive the light. And then the really good news of this passage is he's going to talk about the results of receiving the light. And in that, I think it's going to become a case for why Jesus is a better light and why receiving him as the light is better than rejecting him. So let's start with who is not the light. Follow along with me in John chapter 1, verses 6 to 8. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. Now, if you were with us last week where we looked at John 1, verses 1 to verse uh, 5, we, we saw that it explains that Jesus is the Word of God. And if you look back at those verses, you'll see that not only was he the Word of God, but he was with the God at that creation moment that Jesus created He was with God there. But also it goes on to explain that Jesus himself is God. So he's one of the three people in the Trinity. He's fully God and he's fully man. And then John goes to explain in those first five verses that Jesus possesses life. And and we understood that that life is abundant life. It's eternal life. And the really good news is, is that it then talks about that he shares that life with us. And in that, that life, if you will, becomes light. And that light is the the sort of light that that shines into everything and it shines into all the darkness. But what I think is maybe the greatest news about those first five verses is that it says that the, the darkness will not overcome the light. The light is so powerful that the darkness will not overcome it. So John is still on this topic of light. What is the light? And he begins here in verse 6 by on the, continuing this discussion of the light by explaining what the light is not. The light is not John the Baptist. Now, if you go back to uh, all those, those gospel accounts, they all talk about John the Baptist. So he's a very significant ver- uh, person in those gospels. John the Baptist is very important, but he's not the light. John the Baptist, if you remember, is kind of this, I think, kind of a strange figure that, that he's out preaching in the desert. He's wearing weird things. He's, e- he's eating even weirder things. But he's out there proclaiming the gospel. Uh, he's baptizing people. But when then Jesus comes on the scene, John begins to kind of go off the scene, doesn't he? Because John recognizes that that man, Jesus, he's the light. He's the savior of the world. He's the one I've been talking about. And then he baptizes them and all the Trinity is there in that moment. And then John begins to recede from the scene. But the key about John is, is that he really is a fulfillment of prophecy. And so John really serves us by saying, okay, he's the fulfillment of prophecy. What actually then points to the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. For example, Isaiah 40 verse 3 says, A voice cries in the wilderness, preparing the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. John is the fulfillment of that passage. He he is that voice in the wilderness pointing to Christ. So John himself and his ministry is this fulfillment of all these, uh, these Old Testament prophecy. But again, he's significant, but again, he's not the light. He's important, but he's not the light. Really, his role is to bear witness or proclaim about the light. Another way of saying all this is if you were to make John the light, you would be in darkness. And and if you think that's goofy, let me say it this way. If I was in Jesus's day, man, I would would want to follow John. Like I would want to be one of John's disciples. That's a guy I could learn from. That's a guy that his ministry would have really helped me. So, so I could have followed John, but if I would have made John the light, I would have missed all of John's message. I would have been in the darkness, if you will. What I think this passage drives to 
is if the light is sought in the wrong places or in the wrong people, it actually leads to darkness. By beginning with John and John not being the light, it highlights that there can be things that are not the light. There can be things that we try to make the light and they're actually not the light and it results in us being in the darkness. Let me give you a couple examples. Abundant life is not found in a boyfriend or a wife. Now, now hear me. I have a happy marriage. I'm so thankful for my wife. We, we, and by God's grace, we have this loving marriage that, that is very uh, life-giving to me. And we have a, a wonderful marriage. But, but if I were to worship Chris, Kristen in a way to where I make her the light, I would have a disordered love that, that, would, that would lead me to the darkness, right? Like I wouldn't be able to love her in the ways that I'm supposed to love her. Like if I worshiped her and had this disordered love, I wouldn't be able to love her in the ways that I'm supposed to. And, and further, what happens when you have the ups and downs of marriage? Would I all of a sudden then be in the darkness when, you know, when, when Kristen is maybe mad at me or something? Like it's a trap, right, to make other things the light who are not the light. I think another example is, is boyfriends and girlfriends. If they're your source of truth and joy, what happens when they don't like you anymore? It was middle school for me, okay? Well, I, I teach a group of, of high school seniors, a biblical worldview class, and one of my great words of wisdom from Dr. Caswell is, you are going to get dumped. It's just coming. It's coming, okay? When I was a kid, man, somebody would like me on a Tuesday, and then on a Wednesday, they wouldn't like me anymore when they got to know me. So if, if, you're, <laughs> if your light is all wrapped up in that person liking you, man, that's a trap, isn't it? That's a trap, isn't it? And hear me, that's, that's not to say marriage is bad. It's not to say having a boyfriend is bad, but if you make them your light, you're going to be in the darkness. Let, let me get maybe more into, into Christian's business a little bit. Now, I, I know there's extremes to this next, next example, but let me say it this way. No pastor, no elder, no spiritual mentor is going to be your Jesus. Now, hear me. There, there are maybe most Christians who don't, like, find someone to, to really uh, mentor them and disciple them and to, and to really shepherd their souls. They, they try to kind of do it on their own. Like, most Christians aren't, like, really committed to a local church and, and finding those leaders that they, that they really learn from. But, but there can be a danger on another end, okay, Th- that you can make this person your Jesus, right? Now, now hear me again. I'm, I'm being clear it's good to, to have a pastor in your life. It's good to have an elder in your life. It's good to have a spiritual mentor in your life. And hear me, I've had all of those things in my life, and I am eternally grateful for it. And even to go, let me go so far to say the Bible is incredibly clear that God has given those people to you in order to equip you, to shepherd you, to love you. You need to have those people in your life. But if you make those people your Jesus, there is a trap there. Like, like what happens if that fallen person gives you bad counsel? Can that happen? Brother, it's happened to me. Like, like what happens if they just, uh, I've had mentors that I dearly love, pastors and elders that I care about. What happens when they pass away? What happens when they move? You see, if we make these individuals our light, if we make them our Jesus, it's going to lead us to the darkness, right? It's going to lead us into places that are very unhealthy. We can have a disordered love. We can put too much hope in things that it was never meant to bear that type of hope. We can subtly seek the light in in the wrong people. John the Baptist was great. He just wasn't the light. 
In fact, if people tried to make him the light, then it would keep them from the blessing that God intended for them to provide through John the Baptist. It's the same way for the person you esteem, but you, you move from esteem to making them your light. That, that can, those can be subtle distinctions. But do the people you esteem point you to the light, or do they become your light? Are you making someone your light besides Jesus? Let's get to the, the, the next verse, verse 9, and we'll see who is the light. Verse 9 says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. John the Baptist was not the light, but rather Jesus was the light. He's the true light. This means that John the Baptist or anyone else is not the genuine light, but Jesus is the genuine light. Now, the, the term here, true, it, it distinguishes John from Jesus, but I think it also gets to kind of the nature of what he's talking about, about the light. It gets to the nature of the light. The light itself is truth. Maybe a, a definition of what does he talk about is Jesus is the light. It means he's the manifestation of all that is good, the manifestation of all that is true, all that is glorious, all that is excellent. It's, his, it's who he is at his essence. It's his, it's his attributes. It's who he is as God. But then it goes so far as if he is the light, this glorious manifestation of all these glorious things, then it illumines everything around it. It reveals all these truths and all these glorious things. That's what it means that Jesus is the light. So Jesus is true. Jesus is good. Jesus is perfect. Jesus is excellent. All those attributes are who he is. And then out of that, he then shines all this light into all of our bad, all of our dark places. Even the things that we thought were good, when you compare them to Jesus, they aren't that good anymore, right? Like we can have these good things, but if you compare it to Jesus, Jesus is so much better, right? That's what it means that he's the light. It doesn't mean that those things are bad. It just means that Jesus is the perfection of all those things. Like think of human love, for example. Think, again, think of those relationships. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a close friend or a family member. Maybe it's a pet. Like you, you can have this love for these things, and that's a good thing. But when you compare it to the love of Christ, that's a totally different thing, right? Like, like, think about your, your spouse. You, like, you, uh, you, you can have a spouse who, who sacrificially loves you, and, and you sacrificially love your spouse. But at the same time, can you become irritated with your spouse? Can, like, you sinfully say things that you shouldn't? Man, if that's the idea of perfect love, the, the love of, of a healthy marriage, man, I, I've got something better to sell you. I, I've got a, a love that Jesus offers you. Like, think about your, your close friendships. If you're like me, you've got friendships who have just sacrificially loved you well. And, and I'm sure you have uh, people in your life that, that you have loved well, right? And, and what a gift. Like, those are wonderful things. But com compared to the friendship of Jesus, that, that friendship that, that never kind of hits its end on patience, that, that friendship that is steadfast, always loving, friends, you're going you're to have friends that come and go in your life, Right? You're going to have friends that, you know, serve you well and love you well for a season and then maybe betray you. But friends, you've got a light that is a totally different type of friends. This is a ridiculous example, but, but maybe, you, maybe it makes you feel good that, uh, that your pet loves you so much. But then sometimes isn't it a little much? Like we have this dog that I keep feeding things that I shouldn't and she's gone from 60 pounds to 68 pounds, but she still thinks she's a lap dog and it's just a little much, right? Like the love that we see in this world, when you compare it to Christ, it just doesn't compare anymore. Jesus is truly glorious and it's evident to everyone. 
It's evident to everyone. That's the point of this verse. It is clear that Jesus is better. This verse doesn't mean that everyone accepts Jesus as the light. It just means that it is evident. It is clear when you compare Jesus to anything else, he's better. Now, hear me, we're in a day to where it's vogue to criticize the church, criticize Christians. And, and, and hear me, you've, you are likely, and I'm in this boat with you, you've probably had Christians who have hurt you. Like, I've, I've been a vocational pastor for 20 years, okay? So the people that I'm around all the time are Christians. I've had Christians hurt me, okay? You know, you've probably had that. There, there's been pastors who fail. So it, it's, we should rightly criticize those things. But have you noticed that our culture is so quick to criticize the church, they're quick to criticize Christians? Man, they're really slow to criticize Jesus, aren't they? Like, what is there to criticize? Are you with me? Like, like there's, there's nothing there to criticize, Anything you seek is the light, if it's not more excellent and more true than Jesus, then it's not the light. Politics is not the light. It's not going to fulfill like when the kingdom of God uh, comes that Jesus brings with them. Popularity is not the light. The affections of others, that's fleeting. Those are here for a moment and then gone. And when you compare that to the steadfast love of the Lord, Jesus wins every time. Power and control to do what you want, when you want to do it, that's also not the light. Friends, the freedom to live where you want and, 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 to, and where you want and to retire when you want, that is not going to fulfill your soul like it would if you were communing with Jesus, yet you were in a jail cell. That is so much better than getting to live on the beach in your 30s and have no job. Position or achieving your dream job is not the light. You might feel good about yourself in the moment, but in the end, it will not fulfill you. Rather, Jesus is the light. And he gives that light to everyone, and it's evident to everyone that he is the light. It's evident that he is better than all these things. Therefore, if whatever you are pursuing as your light is not evidently glorious, then then it's not the true and the good light. John is offering something better for you today. John 1 is saying there is something better than politics. Politics is important. Popularity is not a bad thing. Power can be used to do great good. Position can lead to great human flourishing. All those things are not bad. However, at your heart, at the heart level, preserve that light, that thing that you're pursuing. Reserve that for Christ. He's the one that satisfies above all of that. Believe that he's the ultimate good in your life. Trust that he is the ultimate thing that is true. And by doing so, he will guide you. He will bless your path. He will lead you to everlasting joy. It's who he is and it's what he does. Clearly compared to everything else, he is what is true and he is what is good. But do most people believe that truth? Certainly no, right? Look at this next verse, uh, 10 and 11. Most reject the light. In verse 10, he says, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. So even though it is evident that Jesus is the light, and when you compare it to anything else, he is more excellent, still most people reject him. Why is that? I don't think the reason why is because people are just totally unreasonable. I think people are actually pretty reasonable. I think this is uh, evidence that people are fallen. I think it means that there is some sort of disease that we have that keeps us from seeing Jesus as the light. 
We've seen in other places in the Bible that you kind of have to do a little bit of work to understand word here. Like, what does he mean by word? Also, what does he mean by his own people? The, the Greek term here, cosmos, is really similar to the English term world and the way we use the term world. Like, you can use the term world to mean something like the universe or the created material realm. You can use the word world to mean like all people. The Bible uses it that way, and it also uses it uh, for like unbelievers or, or un, like ungodly things, worldly things. So, so it could be maybe all of these things. I think the best way John is using it here in verse 10 is understand that Jesus came into this created material world and this created material world, which was sourced by him, by the way, all those people there, they did not recognize him as God. I think that's what he's saying here. But then he goes on to say, but his own people, they rejected him as well. well who is his own people? Well, I think that's best understood as ethnically Jewish people. That's who Jesus was. He was an ethnically Jewish person. And he says even his own people rejected him. Now, we've got to slow down here a second. Does that mean that every person, and more specifically, every Jewish person rejected Christ? Well, of course it doesn't mean that, right? Like we know that there were 12 ethnically Jewish guys who accepted him and followed him, right? We know his mother did. We know uh, his brother James later did. So it doesn't mean that every single one of them did, right? What it does mean is kind of the majority of them did. Now, that's a strange reality, isn't it? Because as you read the New Testament, have you ever wondered like, man, if I was there and I saw that miracle and I saw him do that, man, how could you not believe? Like, isn't it odd to think that when Jesus was on earth, most rejected him? How about that? Like people saw all that. They saw the miracles. They saw all of those things, but they still rejected him. They still reject him today. Well, why is that? Again, I don't think it's because, you know, we're all just so unreasonable. I think it has more to do with fallenness. Paul talks about this, about fallenness in Romans 1. Let me read 19 to 23. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for, way, for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. You see, most people worship the creation rather than the creator. We have disordered love, don't we? The, the fallenness hit us in a way. If you think back to Adam and Eve, what was that hook that got them? If they could be like God if they could be their own gods, if they could control their life the way they wanted, if they could worship themselves or someone else or, or do things how they, wanted to do, to, to, how they wanted to live, however they wanted to go, they could go that way. They could be their own God. In that moment, that was the heart of, of fallenness, right? That's when they fell. And we, from then on, have had this disordered love. We worship the wrong things. Our hearts are idol factories. And, and sadly, again, even in Jesus's day, that was the case. The, the three synoptic gospels, they all share this account of Jesus in his hometown with people who knew him, people who saw the miracles, they still rejected him in Nazareth, right? We, we, we saw that even in when Jesus was here, that people physically saw these things and they rejected him. There was a fallenness that was going on. Rejection or not receiving him means not recognizing Jesus for who he is and what he's done. 
Friends, the light is good and the light is true. And those who reject the light means that they don't see Jesus as good and true. They might see him as bad, but they also might just see him as okay. But they don't see him as gloriously good. Like, like they might see him as a lie, or they might see him as just not really that relevant. But either way, they're, they're not seeing him as the measure of what is right and wrong and the measure of what is excellent. But that's not everyone, is it? That's not the end of the story here. Look, look at verse 12. Some received the light. Verse 12 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So even though many and even most rejected the light, that's not the case for everyone. There always has been and there still is today this remnant. There's still these, these ones who receive the light. Do, do you remember John 3 when Jesus has that famous conversation with Nicodemus? It's this fascinating conversation with this, with this rabbi. Nicodemus is a wonderful character in the New Testament. And, and they had this conversation, and, and Jesus kind of kicks it all and really frames the whole conversation in John 3, 3, where he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You see, receiving the light is another way of saying being born again. You see, when, when, when someone receives the light, they're born again. When someone is born again, they receive the light. The, the clear teaching here from John 1 is, that, uh, is, is a call for someone to receive the light. However, what does it mean to receive the light? Like, what does it mean for someone to be born again? What, what do you have to do in order to be converted? What needs to happen for someone to become a Christian? I think one of the best verses on this is Romans 10.9. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth uh, that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So the way to uh, receive Christ or receive the light is to confess that you're a sinner. And sticking with our, our light analogy, you're in the dark. And then it's confessing and professing that he is the light. He, he's the savior of the world. He's the light. He is what is true and glorious. There's, there's nothing more or better out there to worship. He is the ultimate. His light as goodness means that he sacrificially died for your sins. His light as truth means that he was victorious over sin and death. Death itself could not keep him, right? His life was so glorious that death could not kill his life. If you believe that he is the light and receive him as the light, then you'll be born again. You'll be converted. You'll become a Christian. Receiving is the opposite of earning something, right? Like this is not a call to earn something. There's a gift out there. There's a gift that he is offering you. He's just calling you to receive it. He, he, he's not calling you to be the light. He's not calling you to, to earn the light. He's call, calling you to receive the light. Do, do you accept that Jesus is God and Savior and, and he's the one who has paid for your sins? Do you accept that? Do you accept that he is the light of the world? If you do, then you have received the light. This, this fall, our, our elders, uh, we, we've been discussing a lot about how to be better evangelists. Like, we've really been pushing into this issue, and, and, not, and, and just like into our own heart. The three of us, we've just been talking about, okay, uh, wh what does it mean to really share the gospel? How can we share the gospel better in better ways? And this maybe sounds goofy to you, but like, we've been, we've been reading a book on it. Like, we've been trying to say, okay, how can we get better? I, like, I, I want to learn how to be a better witness of the gospel to the community around us. We've been even going so far, like, we've been researching ways 
to personally be better evangelists? And then, okay, how do we lead our church to be this better gospel light in the community? We've been looking at different ways to, to share the gospel. I, I say all that to say that Mike Cromus and Andy Crenshaw are safe people to visit with about the gospel. Like, like this is their heart, okay? Like you have a staff and elders who are not perfect people, but they are people who have been transformed by the gospel. And they are people who love talking about the gospel because it has changed them so much. So, so when you hear me saying, okay, Jesus is the light, and this is a call to receive him as the light. Like I want you to know that, that those elders, they are not these pushy salesmen, okay? They are, are patient and loving shepherds. And they want to give you the time that you need. They want to answer those questions. They want to pray for you. Like they're safe people to go to. So as you hear this and you're wrestling, man, have I been spending my life rejecting the light? And this passage is calling me to receive the light. And we start singing in a moment. I want you to slip to the back. And, and we always have a, a pastor or elder back there. And they just want to talk to you. They just want to, to pray with you. They want to answer your questions. Their heart is to share this with you because it has changed their life. From this book, one of the, the helpful things that, that I've learned, and for some reason it's, it's just really stuck with me, but this author of this book says that, that most people come to faith through the influence of family members, small group Bible studies, or a conversation with a friend after a church service. If that's true, and I think it probably is, then this, this call that we're facing in John 1.12, it, it's this call that, okay, accept the light. Okay, Maybe Mike Cromus really intimidates you, okay? And you don't want to go talk to Mike, so that's a joke. You're one of the most unintimidating people I know. He's a, he's a teddy bear. If you think Gary Carlson is scary, there's something wrong with you, okay? But if you don't like those guys, then friends, grab somebody today. Grab that guy in your small group. Friends, this church is filled with broken people loving broken people. That means after this service, grab one of those people and say, hey, can we go to lunch? And I'm going to put everybody on the spot. I bet they would even buy your lunch to go talk to you about the gospel. That's how much these folks care about it. I pray you also hear me uh, on, on something that when we speak of receiving Jesus as the light, we're not speaking about an end, but we're speaking about a beginning. You see, receiving him as the light, it certainly means clearly understanding him as the light. But it also means letting that life transform and change everything to the degree that you are faithfully walking with him for the long term. And by the long term, I mean for eternity. That's what he's calling us to. The light has come into the world, and I pray that you receive him today. However, before we close, I want to share maybe the greatest blessing of this passage. In verse uh, 12 and 13, we see that those who receive the light become children of the light. Let me read verse 12 again and then verse 13. But to all who did receive him... Who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You see, if you receive the light, then God's word promises that you will become a children, you'll become a child of the light. The way of saying this is that if you believe in his name, then you will take his name. You will become one of his. You don't become his children through natural means, but supernatural means. He's very clear on that here. It's not through your biological parents. It doesn't matter who your mom and dad were or were not. That's not how you become a child of God. It's not about your last name. It's not about your ethnicity. And further, it's not about your own moral strength or determinism, right? 
Some of you have greater moral strength than others, but, but that's not really the, the key here. No one is born again by doing some sort of an accountant cost-benefit analysis. I've never seen anyone come to faith in that. And, and I think this passage is super clear that Jesus is the light and it's evident to everyone. So I've never seen somebody take out a, a yellow tablet and kind of do, well, here's the good things about following Jesus. Here's the bad things about following Jesus. Well, I'm going to go this way and go that way. That's not, that's not how I was converted. That's probably not how you were converted, right? Like someone shared a Bible verse with you, and maybe you'd heard that Bible verse before, and then all of a sudden, whew, the Spirit blew in that moment, and the lights came on, didn't it? You were totally transformed. You went from someone who was an enemy of God to a worshiper of God. You went from somebody who was uh, th this one who hated God to this one who is now a child of God. God stepped in in that glorious moment, and he graciously gave you a gift. That's how people come to faith. Has, has the lights come on for you? Have you been totally transformed by the gospel? Being children of the light means you belong to him. He has supernaturally given us his name. We didn't deserve it, but through faith, he graciously gave us this gift, this eternal gift. This is an important point because if we earned something, then we deserved something in it, right? We didn't deserve this. And further, if you earned it, like if, if you reached up and, and accomplished this thing, what happens when you quit reaching up? Like, can you out God's grace? Brother, if it's via God's grace, you can't out it. Amen? That light is so good. There is no dark out there that will overcome it. You can't out His grace. We're secure in Him. We're secure in His light and His truth and, his glory, and all these glorious attributes of God. Further, being children of the light means you now walk according to the light. He gave us this light to walk according to it. So if you receive his light, it means that then his light guides you in all areas of your life. All those dark corners of your heart where you kind of like put boxes around your life where, okay, I have this professional life, I have a family life, I'll have this kind of Jesus part of my life. That's not how the gospel works. The gospel transforms all of that. It shines light in all those dark places, all those dark places of your heart, and it guides us in everything. Another way of saying this is that that light shines into your marriage and how you treat your wife or how you treat your husband. It shines into your thought life, the things that you choose to think about or not choose to think about. It shines into your finances and into your schedule. It shines into all of it, doesn't it? It totally transforms you, and it transforms you for eternity. Friends, the, the two great takeaways from John 1, 6 to 13 are number one, reject the false lights, and number two, receive the true light. Reject the false lights. What do you need to turn from today? Do you have some sort of disordered love for something or someone? What, what do you need to turn from? Are you seeking truth or goodness or happiness through some other light? Are you worshiping someone or something other than Jesus? Can all these lesser lights be taken away from you and yet your soul will be still satisfied by this one true light of the world? That's the great test, isn't it? If things in this world can be taken away from you and they're going to be taken away, you're going to have ups, you're going to have downs. The Bible is really clear about that. But when you're in those low moments, do you, do you still make Jesus the light of your world? Friends, if you do, you can have your soul satisfied through anything. He's with you in all of it. He's better than even the worst of this life. What false light do you need to reject today? And second, receive the true light. 
How do you need to turn to him today? Maybe this is in some sort of ultimate way. Like maybe as you look back and your friend says, hey, tell me your testimony. Tell me when you were converted. And you look back and, and you don't see anything. There's not this moment where you repented and believed. There's not this moment where you turned once and for all for Christ. And friends, I think what it means to receive the light is to be born again today. To, to, to accept Him as your light. To confess your sin to Him and believe in Him for your eternal salvation. But maybe you've done that. Like maybe there is that moment. You look back and say, yeah, when I was seven, when I was, when I was 25, when I was 18, there was that moment that God just grabbed my heart. But as I look past over the last year, the last five years, subtly I've had all these other things, these lesser lights become ultimate lights for me. Like, like what, what do we need to, how, how do we need to receive him today? Maybe there's something as you look in your life that you need to confess nominalism or you need to confess half-heartedness to him. No light besides Jesus will ultimately satisfy your soul. So turn to him. Maybe turn back to him. Receive him as the light. One of my wife's favorite Christmas songs is, is You Are the Light. And, and it not only praises Jesus for being the light, but the beginning of the song also highlights the need for the light and our desire for the light. It says, A world lost in darkness, dying to see the sunrise. A Savior will come. Heaven is waiting with glimpses of mercy fading. A Savior will come. We've waited so long. You are the light, Bethlehem's son, Hope of the world, glorious one, the Savior to all is with us tonight. You are the light. Friends, we all know there's a need. We all know this world is lost in darkness. No light will ever eternally satisfy. No solution will be the ultimate solution. No light will always shine the way we need truth. We need a Savior. He's come. He's light of the world. Bow in your presence Surrounded by angels beaming, a Savior has come. You're a candle to lead us, a flame to destroy the darkness. With the light of your love, the Messiah has come. You are the light, Bethlehem's son, hope of the world, glorious one. The Savior to all is with us tonight. You are the light. Brothers and sisters, we're constantly rejecting Jesus' light and seeking light in other things. All the religions of the world, all the other worldviews out there, They offer all these solutions, all these other lights. And John 1 is abundantly clear. And and it is evident that Jesus is the better light over all of it. He's the one that always satisfies and there's no darkness that will overcome it. And if you will receive it, you will become a a child of the light. Jesus' light produces children of the light. And friends, this Christmas, I pray that you receive the light. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this passage. And thank you for the blessing of you coming. Thank you for being our light. Thank you for stepping into this dark world and and shining the glorious truth of the gospel on our world. Father God, we pray that you would, would do a good work to where even now we believe that the light has come into the world, meaning that even now that you would shine that light. That Lord, and if there is, is one, even one here who has not Uh, believed in you, has not given themselves over to you, who has not uh, received that gift of your light. I pray that today would be the day they do that. Lord, for all of us, it's always a battle of of, uh, turning to these lesser lights, believing that they're going to bring us uh, peace and joy and happiness. 
Lord, may we worship you in a way to where you are the ultimate light. It's in Jesus' name we'll pray. Amen.